Hello and welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Krull, and you're listening to episode 96 of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to chat about a subject that I absolutely love, which is Pandora, the world of Avatar. This is going to be a two-part episode because we are really going to dive deep into the details of Pandora, the world of Avatar, including some details you probably did not know. And that's because my two special guests on this two-part episode are two people who actually worked with Walt Disney Imagineering on the world of Avatar. That is Adam and Rebecca. I am so excited for you to hear their stories. They were set designers working on virtually every aspect of Pandora, including things like Satuli Canteen, Navi River Journey, Flight of Passage, and the land itself. So they have some incredible stories to share. The first part of this series, we're going to chat a little bit more about their background with Walt Disney Imagineering and how you can, in today's day and age, make a career at Imagineering because a lot of the guests I've had on the show before, even they have admitted because they're older Imagineers who worked at Disney either, you know, going back to the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and it was a little different back then than it is today. And so Adam and Rebecca have some really great um, practical advice for those of you who are looking to break into Walt Disney Imagineering in the modern age. So a lot of our discussion is uh, today about how to break into Walt Disney Imagineering, learn a little bit more about their backgrounds, uh, Imagineering as a whole, and what the place is like, what the process for designing attractions and lands might be. We'll start talking a little bit about Pandora, the world of Avatar, and then in part two, we're really going to dive deep into some of the details, and I am so excited for you to hear those stories. At the end of the episode, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer podcast on all your favorite social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer podcast. course on the show i always do the best i can to bring on imagineers this is imagineer podcast to talk about how what it takes to become an imagineer and what it's like in the day-to-day of working at walt disney imagineering so i am very happy to have with me on the episode today adam and rebecca welcome to the show hi hello yeah Absolutely. I'm so glad we connected on Instagram and it was over a post that I personally geek out about uh, talking about Pandora um, and Flight of Passage specifically. So we're, we're, I'm getting my head of myself a little bit there, but of course we're going to talk a lot about Pandora. Uh, to start the conversation though, I would love if you could at least introduce um, yourselves a bit and either you know, how you define what you did at Disney or just sort of give us the, if someone were to approach you on an elevator um, and, you know, you said you worked for Disney and yeah. someone said, well, what did you end up doing? You know, how you would, um, how you would respond. So I'll let either of you go first, but what, how would you define what you, what you did at Disney and what your role was? Sure. By the way, I'm going to apologize in advance um, to you and, and any of your listeners. Um, I usually pace when I walk, and so I'm sitting right now. Pace when you talk. Oh, yeah, I pace when I, yeah, sorry. I pace, oh, geez, this is coming. <laughs> I pace when I talk. Yeah. And so, um, I do the same thing. Yeah. So typically, if you hear like something like get knocked over or anything like that, that may be me just like really getting into what I'm saying. Um, so typically, I'm not saying, but like uh, Rebecca has me like actually sitting down right now. So hopefully, um, <laughs> it'll, it'll add to the authenticity. That's fine. <laughs> sure, yeah. Like, oh, they're real people who trip over their power cords when they're talking. Um, uh, so my role, primarily what I'll be talking about is my role as a, as a set decorator. And um, although while I was at Imagineering, I held multiple roles. Um, I did some work as a coordinator 
and show producer. I did work as a uh, show set designer and then show set production manager. Um, and each one of those, like, Imagineering is always departmentalized into different groups and it takes, you know, an entire team to sort of make a project happen. And as we start to talk about different projects, I can shine light on each of those individual roles because they each sort of, they each have a different set of qualifications or, or you know, uh, requirements or job duties. But mainly we'll be talking about set decoration, especially because we'll be talking about Pandora a lot. And so a set decorator, what a set decorator does is um so i believe that immersive don't look at me like that so my wife is just like oh this speech again <laughs> i believe that a um a good immersive environment has sort of five traits to it uh first is like it's big idea it's big story it's big concept and then you know or or you know like like so a big concept is experimental prototype community of tomorrow epcot Right. Or it could be, you know, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, just the, the idea of it. Then all of a sudden, you take that concept and you bring it to life. And that's done through, you know, light, sound, special effects. Basically, you're activating the space. Then usually every single, um, every single attraction or event or um, big idea has some sort of storyteller and that could be literally a physical human being, like maybe Indiana Jones stunt show, like the actors leading you through it, or it could be a, via, a vehicle. And what I mean by storyteller is like someone who linearly sort of moves you through the narrative. So like Pirates of the Caribbean, the vehicle that you're in helps you move through the story. And then uh, lastly, which is uh, what I, th I think a set decorator really does is um, creates tangibility or realism. And so a set decorator is a person that grabs all those little bits of theming and props and, and, and set pieces that sort of make everything seem a lot more real. So like in Pirates of the Caribbean, it's all the barrels, the treasure, the cannons, the weapons, the, you know, basically everything that's not the buildings and the pirates and the water, that's all, the rest of that is all set decoration. And like I said, it makes you believe that you are there. So that element of tangibility is really important. And that's what set decorators, I believe, fulfill. And then the last thing is purpose. And I think that kind of speaks to itself that all um, immersive entertainment and immersive uh, environments need to have a certain purpose, whether that's to educate, whether that's to have fun, whether that's to scare, you know, each thing, need, it needs to be really concrete what, what your purpose is. Or else at the end, you know, you, you kind of lose, you know, the meaning behind it. So that's me in, in a short <laughs> elevator statement. I love it. It, it, it definitely, um, it adds to, it's almost textbook imagineering theory. And I can see how all those elements are brought to life. But yeah, Rebecca, I would love to ask you the same question. So um, I did not work directly for Disney. I worked for a contractor who uh, you will soon learn throughout this do uh, a lot for Disney, um, yeah. and I was a scenic artist, and that's kind of a broad term, but I kind of did a lot of things, so it is it's broad on purpose. Um, I was a painter. I built things physically, uh, you know, out of wood and out of foam and out of various different materials. I did casting and molding with resin and, and various materials like that, um, so there were a lot of different things, and, and and decorating. There was a fair bit of decorating as well, especially in Pandora. So I did a whole host of different things, but all very physical, very tangible. Yeah. Set dressings. But like, yeah. Set dressings. Yeah. Um, actually, a fun, fun little thing is, even though we didn't meet in, the in, in that sort of relationship, I, we met prior to you becoming a scenic artist with um, not, not even just, you know, Disney and other contractors, but... Um, there were times where I had work that I had designed and then it went over to the shop that she was working at and then she ended up getting assigned to the work that I had designed. And so then I had to go and give like feedback and notes to me, to my wife <laughs> <laughs> about designs. I will tell you that is difficult. 
<laughs> you have to separate work, work and uh, home life that way. Right. Um, I just be like, I'd be like, do you think you can add maybe like a little bit more dirt or mud here? And you'd be like, no. Or you'd be like, why? <laughs> and I'd be like, well, cause. And you'd be like, I think you, I think that it doesn't. That matter. is that is so not true. I took I took you feedback did. very well. I think you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is awesome. Uh, and you, you answered my other question too, is whether you met at Pandora or not. So it sounds like you obviously met before then. We um, Disney, yeah, we met at Disney. Um, I was giving a talk about Imagineering and... I was in the audience. Yeah. Ah. Um, at the time that we met, I was working frontline. Um, I was doing the international college program. I'm from Canada. Um, and so I was doing the international college program and I saw and kind of, they had sent out a little flyer thing that said there was a, a, a seminar type event with Imagineers. And, um, I thought that would be interesting, something that I had always wanted to do. So I went in and, um, and, you know, listened to the seminar and Adam was on the panel yeah. and I asked him a question and he said to come talk to him after to, so we could talk more about it, and that's how he lured me in. Lured you? Yeah, it actually was it was a it was a, a luring. Yeah, um, but yeah, so as I said, but the interesting thing I think about the two of us is we're definitely like a creative team now. We do a lot of um, uh, a lot of freelance work, and then a lot of uh, community theater work and volunteering together. And it's interesting because it's like we definitely dabble in immersive storytelling, but I'm definitely more into physical design, and then. Rebecca is more into colors, painting, graphics. Mm -hmm. And so between the two of us, we usually can kind of complete, make a whole design, the two of us together. How, you know, sort of going back in time a bit, how did you end up where you ended up in, in Walt Disney Imagineering or working with a contractor? Because I feel like that's A to Z or A to B process, because of course you can go on beyond that too. But that A to B process is really mystical to a lot of people. And I've interviewed former Imagineers who, you know, have, have talked about the early days or even going back to the, the 80s and there were different times. So I'm really curious for a, a, modern, uh, a modern take on, on how you ended up uh, at, at uh, Disney, either in Imagineering or working as a, uh, in a contractor role. So uh I'll say specifically what, um, what I did first. So I have a degree in uh, engineering and I have a degree in theatrical design. And the plan sort of was always to go down to Disney. Um, I, I participated in a competition called the Imag uh, Imaginations Competition. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that when you guys Google it, like that's one of the first thing that pops up is the imaginations competition. And the idea um, was it was meant to sort of bring in diversity in all shapes and forms, bring in um, younger, a younger generation of Imagineers. And if you do well enough in the design competition, they interview you and then you possibly get an internship. And I started out at, uh, as an intern with, um, with the props department and then sort of shifted around from there to, I mean, I stuck with props a lot, but shifted over to do a bunch of different things. And um, that was how I got in, which is a pretty direct route. Yeah, my route was not direct in any way. It was kind of all over the place. Um, so working for Disney was not my first goal. Um, so. I actually have a degree in film. Um, for a while, I, I wanted to be a director or a writer, or um, and then that slowly shifted more in the artistic direction, and I wanted to be a production designer. Um, but as I went through film school, um, I certainly learned a lot, but one of the things I learned was that I didn't want to work in the film industry. So, um, but I gained a lot of skills from that that I realized were transferable to other other industries. And one of those was, was theme parks. I went to Disney and I thought, wow, I could do this. And this is cool. This is, it's everything I love about theater and everything I love about film all combined into one. Storytelling. Yeah. Right. And so I thought this is something I could do, but I was missing a little bit of the, of the, uh, there were a few skills missing from my repertoire that I thought would be helpful. Um, on top of that, 
as a Canadian, um, getting down to the US is not the easiest thing. So I decided to go to school in the US in order to kind of have that that foot in the door. Well, eligibility, like yeah. a lot of internships are based off of eligibility and a lot of it means you need to be a enrolled student in a US institution. Yeah. You know? So I, I went to college down in Florida to do entertainment design and technology um, at Valencia College, which was really just a nice supplement to what I already knew how to do. Um, it kind of filled in the gaps that I was missing. I didn't really need, I felt like a full other degree. Um, it was, so it was an associate's degree and it kind of filled in the gaps of what I was missing. And um, that was after my college program. So the reason that I realized that was something I could do is I went down to Disney to do the international college program after I graduated from film school. I wasn't really sure what I was going to do because I knew I didn't want to work in the film industry. But I had heard about this college program and I thought it sounded really fun. I got to go work at Disney for a summer and meet some new people and have, make some money, have a good time. And so I applied for that. I got it. And so for four months, I was in Orlando working. Um, and I worked at uh, Many Adventures Winnie the Pooh and, <laughs> and the, the lovely teacups. Um, those were my rides. And I had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Um, and then I met Adam um, at that event. And he had kind of been the one to suggest when I brought up to him, you know, this is really cool, I think I could do this. He was the one that suggested going to school yeah. and that going to school might be a good idea to kind of fill in some of those gaps and also make me eligible for internships. And um, so that is what I had kind of decided to do before we even, I mean, we were not in a relationship, but I had decided already I was gonna do that. Well, and, and from going to school then, it then got you an internship at it one did. of the shops. Yeah. And then from that, experience then it, it led you over to the other yeah to, so I, I while I was at in college in Florida I got an internship at the shop uh that I ended up getting working full-time for them afterwards um I went from being an intern to being a full-time scenic artist with them uh and then after that I moved over to um the competitor Universal <laughs> um and worked there for a little while before we ended up leaving Florida yeah, coming up to DC. Um, and I was going to say, so um, before we, I, I wanted to take a chance to um, sort of talk about the route to Imagineering because I feel like the, there there are probably a lot of people who listen to this that that's a very big question. That's a question that I get a lot. Yes, and, please do. And so I'm just going to like, the, so the, the there now are degrees and um, programs that are directly related to Imagineering, either they are um, immersive entertainment or um, um, entertainment technology. Like for instance, Carnegie Mellon, for those of you who have read any, um, who know, uh, what is it? Um, the Last Lecture, the last lecture. yeah, by Randy Pausch, um, which he worked with the Imagineers and then he eventually formed the, um, the ETC, the Entertainment Technology Center at um, Carnegie Mellon. And, um, I was gonna say, uh, and I know, I won't call her out because I didn't ask her permission, but um, I know one of the people who was in charge of that and she was a mentor for me when I started as an Imagineer and she's still someone who I will text to run things by every now and then. Um, so there are degrees and uh, I know for a while like UCLA had a class that they were teaching and I know North Carolina School of the Arts uh, had uh, a program at least for a little bit I believe and a big one is uh, Savannah College of Art and Design. And we debated whether or not to talk to like sort of call out these institutions and whatnot. But Savannah College of Art and Design has, or at least for a while, had a program where certain people majoring in sort of their entertainment technology or uh, theme park design. Theme park yeah, design. I think it might even be theme park design. I mean, I didn't go, but we had, we had interns from SCAT. They would bring down a batch of prospective interns. The interns would... Uh, interview with us and some people would get internships and it was sort of this direct route. One of the reasons was, was um, one of the, one of the vice presidents of Imagineering ended up becoming a professor there. And it was a really interesting direct communication route to Imagineering. But 
and you'll get all this from the old school guys. So you can learn about all the processes of theme parks and you can sort of be ready to be a theme park designer by understanding Disney, understanding how a story works, understanding all of these elements. But then there's the whole getting your hands dirty aspect of it. And before I had done the imaginations competition, I worked as a carpenter and a welder in a shop and I come from a theater background. So I'd done a lot of different like freelance theater work where I basically was just building sets almost by myself. And so I had a lot of fabrication experience. And so that's, so the design competition got me in and got me an interview. And then the thing that got me to stay was the fact that I sort of understood how things were built and understood how to install items. I think the same for you, Rebecca, right? Yeah. You know, I had come from a program where it was a lot of getting your hands dirty, being on film sets and, and, and doing all of that kind of physical stuff. And I also did theater. So I had that experience as well. So I think, I think that definitely helps. I think, so, and I also, to, to be honest with you, I have some mixed feelings about recommending certain schools. Um, yeah. Only because the fact is the ones with the more direct route, they are expensive. And it Very seems expensive. a little bit elitist that certain people going to certain schools get an advantage over other people. Um, or some people end up then becoming a part of my engineering and like are like, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so I, I have some mixed feelings about it. It is true, though. Like, so we, I feel like we owe it to people to be honest that of course. if you go to some of these places, you may have a leg up, but I don't necessarily think that's fair. I, I, I think Imagineering would be better off having a more diverse group of people well, who don't all come from the same school. Yes. And then there is like, uh, was it Howard University or Hampton University? I, I forget specifically, but there are other universities and um, there was one specifically like sponsored that had a direct route in. And I will say this, now that there's been the, uh, the Imaginations competition, a lot of people from different universities then get jobs. And then what they do is they end up going back to their own mater yeah. to, you know, like they, they seek alumni from where they're from. Yeah. And so that's how you sort of get different people. But I will say this, um, at Disney, there's always a lot of people from Florida and there's always a lot of people from Ohio uh, for some reason. Um, but what, what I guess is that I've noticed people come in through that competition years after I participated in it. And if you have, if you have a background in physically making things or understanding how things are made, you end up sticking around, you end up being way more integral to the process. People who, no, I will say this, if you're just interested in just drawing pictures and just doing, you know, blue sky, high concept show design, you know, sort of renderings, then you don't need you know, then you can probably go to school and then sort of learn aspects of it, but you don't need to get your hands as dirty. But I noticed that a lot of people who were directly coming from school either were sort of occupying a desk a lot of the time or end up becoming coordinators and, and managers. And that is a very, um, is a very worthwhile role, but coordinators and managers don't have the type of creative input that your classic Imagineer ends up having. You know, like, when a lot of people think of Imagineer, they don't realize how many different disciplines there are. And I think a lot of people think of concept designers and they think of art directors and they think of, of, of set designers. Right. And I think that that's the role that a lot of children think of when they're like, oh, somebody drew all this. Well, there's a person that drew all of it. And there's a person who drew all the, the, the construction drawings for all of it. And, and there's a they, different person who drew where all the lighting would go. And there's a different yeah. person that designed all the sound. And there's a different person that did all of the... Um, the uh like color choosing all the different colors and then there was someone else who just like yeah it's it's so varied and so diverse in the skill set it's not any one thing right and i guess what what i what i was sort of told was it was very good to sort of you know have a wide range of experiences and and of course you you guys will hear that you know like oh it's good to sort of know a little bit of everything but i was also told you know, it's great to be, um, you want to be a Renaissance person, not a jack of all trades and a master of none. Right. And so what a lot of mentors in Imagineering will say these days is like, pick a focus, pick a focus. And you should, you should be able to dabble or you should be able to like, you should be able to do some studio painting. You should be able to know color theory or typography, but you should know all these things, but pick a focus, folk, you know, really concentrate on that and try to become a master of that. And that's where you get your practical field experience. And then all of a sudden, 
um, what did MK say? That um, luck is uh, opportunity meets preparation. Mm-hmm. And so then all of a sudden, you know, you've created the, the opportunity and you are then prepared for it with all of this extra field experience or experience getting your hands dirty. Does that make any sense? It makes a lot of sense. It applies, I think, not just to Imagineering, but a lot of fields as well. That if you gain, you, you want to have a lot of practical experience that you can tap into, but being a generalist doesn't always mean you're going to yeah. excel. And at times, it is much better to pick a focus and to be exceptional at that one thing and yet still able to do uh, X, Y, and Z, or at least have enough knowledge to be able to know what uh, what good X, Y, and Z looks like. <laughs> and I think I, I think that a lot of you know a lot of the people that I saw come into Imagineering, it's like they were coming straight out of school and they were just chomping at the bit to become an Imagineer. And a lot of the a lot of the Imagineers who I really looked up to were ones that you know weren't just immediately always you know they may have wanted to always be it, but understood the the idea of patience mm-hmm. and understood like okay, so I have this goal, I'm going to go and get all these other skills, I'm going to go to school, like, and they sort of had, you know, this, this multi-step plan that involved not just understanding story, but also, like, how are we going to make this? Because, like, a lot of Imagineers will, will be very big about their blue sky ideas, but then you never talk about, like, how are we going to actually make this? And, and the thing is, is you need problem solvers to figure it out, and the best problem solvers are the people who've sort of maybe done it wrong like 80 times before then. So they know all the, all the bad things to do, what to do, right. That makes sense. Yeah. It's a good way to phrase it too. I guess to get into the, um, some of the specifics of, I want to start actually with Adam, with your sort of initial work as an intern and then transitioning into a, um, I guess, a set decorator at that point. What was it like in the early days of getting, of course, I know there's you know, going to be an orientation and you're going to be uh, you know, shown around and you're going to have all those, um, you know, like any job, you're going to have that initial training period. But then even coming out of that, what was that period like in those early days of working at Imagineering? So... Um... I started, I think, right before the intern boom, or like right at the beginning of the intern boom. And they're like, they just, you know, where all of a sudden they realized that like interns were cheap labor. So it's like, let's get them as many interns as we can. Um, so my, my first day, I remember I wore a suit and I was like so nervous and I just wanted to do everything right and whatnot. And I met my boss, Steve, and I remember he, he had someone like hand me a walkie talkie. Like I I didn't meet him for like the first four hours of my day. (laughs) He had somebody hand me a walkie talkie. And then he gave me like, like he like told me, he's like, you're going to head to this place. And I'm like, okay, just give me the address and I'll put it on my, on my GPS or I'll I'll look it up and whatnot. He's like, no, 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 I'm just going to tell you the directions and like, just to write them down or just like, just memorize them and whatnot. And I met him backstage of Typhoon Lagoon. And I was like looking around for him, and then I see these things getting thrown out, like like getting launched out of a dumpster. And I walk over, and it's him and another intern, and he is dumpster diving for like all these props that um, I guess engineering services or another group had probably thrown out. And he's like, "These are all still good. Like we can we can take these and we can rehab them, we can repaint them, and everything." And he's like, "He's like, come on, and we're gonna we're gonna get everything out of this dumpster." And so my first day was spent just dumpster diving for old Typhoon Lagoon things. In that, a suit. Yeah, in a suit. I, I ruined. I just Amazing. Wrecked the suit. Um, <laughs> and um, and that was kind of like that. That was pretty much, I guess, the easiest day I ever had. Um, <laughs> in my internship was dumpster diving in like a hundred degree weather in a full suit. Um, it was it was nuts in terms of just like a very, very much of a whirlwind experience. And because set decorators spend maybe about 30% of their time, uh, 20 to 30% of their time designing and then 20 to 30% of their time, um, either procuring or working with a fabrication shop to make sure that the prop or the piece is, is made correctly. And then another 30% of their time out in the field, sort of staging everything and then installing it. 
And so I spent a lot of time in the office and then a lot of time out at vendors or a lot of time um, going and shopping around. And when I mean shopping around, I mean like sometimes we were out at swap meets or antique fairs or sometimes like, you know, American Pickers? I don't personally. Okay. So American Pickers would be like these guys in a pick in like a big box truck and they'd like head out to these like random places on the countryside and like there'd be these barns that are just like full of old antiques and they'd go through. And I remember there were warehouses in Florida that I would pull up to that we'd like have a connection at and we just open it up and there would just be like stuff that like some eccentric millionaire had just collected a bunch of old crud and we had basically just gone through and fished out the things that we wanted and it was it was such a weird uh experience kind of doing that going and, and picking is what we yeah. call it and um and then 30 percent would be on site and a lot of that was overnights and so i'd say about two two to three nights a week would be overnights where i'd be where i'd start around 11 11 ish p.m and then work till seven and then other times i'd be in in the morning between 5 a.m and 9 a.m. And sometimes it's like, you just got to do a couple things in the park. And then other times I'd just be in like 9 a.m. to like around like 7 p.m.-ish. And so it was just, I don't know, it was a lot of time. And um, like your, your schedule when you're doing overnights gets, you kind of get a little, little wacky and whatnot. But so I ended up working on a lot of different projects. And my first year I, se- I spent basically supporting um, other Imagineers and that was when the dream was being um, built or yeah when, yeah, when there was a new build for the, for the dream, which is, you know, one of the bigger cruise ships for Disney. And so I helped support Imagineers who were out in Germany working on the dream. And then I also did a lot of work on something that they call show quality standards, which are or SQS is what they call it. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is Winnie the Pooh. Um, you know, the queue for Winnie the Pooh has a bunch of different interactives and oh, different yeah, props. Oh, yeah, they're really loud. And they're, yes, they're really loud, and <laughs> they break a lot of the times. Sure And do. so part of show quality standards is making sure that nothing is broken and that all the paint remains nice and, you know, like, you know, like it was just installed. And so a lot of my first projects were just basically going around and rehabbing a lot of existing projects. And I actually think that that really benefited me because – I got to take an old project, something that had a lot of documentation on it, and I got to then rehab it back to a really good show quality standard, like up to really good quality, and that then sort of showed me like one, what Disney quality was, but then two, it allowed me to sort of learn the process of, of, of how they do their stuff. So then when we started on new projects, I sort of had a, a plethora of sort of tools uh, and, and know-how behind me that I felt more confident when it came to new projects. And then after I, I was an intern, I then started working in on new projects. And, and the biggest, the first project that I, that I worked on as I became a, just a regular set decorator was Aulani. And that is the resort out in Hawaii. I'm sure that everybody already knows that. Um, I was a set decorator for that. And then near the end, I also got to do a lot of art coordination and Aulani is actually the largest or at the time it was the largest collection of modern Hawaiian art in the world and uh I got to work with some of the artists like I got to commission their artwork I got to you know work on the the contract and the procurement process and then we got to you know check up on it and then we got to go and install it and there was a lot of work where we got to um we got to facilitate a lot of the artistic talent that took place at Aulani and it was really really cool especially because um I think that a lot of the original concerns with Aulani was that it was going to become something sort of like the Grand Hawaiian or something that was very um maybe like culturally insensitive and I think that Disney did a lot of really great work making sure that they were connecting with the cultural center and the and the artists that live there so that it was specifically their voice rather than, you know, like, and there is a Disney overlay, but at the same time, when you go there, you can definitely tell that it is a uniquely Hawaiian, you know, resort that has, you know, that is, that is there by Disney. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I think that 
it was i'm trying to remember where i had even heard that oh i remember it was <laughs> i thought it was in the imagineering story i did a disney institute course and that's where they talked about alani um but yeah it was it was uh it, it was smart for them to do that for sure yeah. um what was for each of you what was your i guess oh adam you talked about it a little bit so maybe i'll, I'll pass it over to rebecca rebecca what was your first project um I guess supporting Walt Disney Imagineering or working as a as a contract for Imagineering. Um, so my first project as a contractor, um, I believe, was um, it was some overlays for the Bippity Boppity Boutique on the um, was it the Dream or the Magic? Magic. It's the Magic. I think. Um, I, I think it was one of them. I think so too. They have yeah. a pirate night on the cruise ship. And essentially, they do a little makeover at the Bippity Boppity Boutique to make it pirate themed so that people could come in and get their pirate makeovers there. And so there were these, um, there were these skulls with swords behind them that would go over top of the gemstones that were on top of the mirrors. And they would basically just like slide over top. And so my first, the first thing I did is actually on my first day, I was, um, kind of fixing up some of the sword handles oh, yeah. that were gonna go. That was the very first thing I did. And then I ended up doing a few more things for those, including like painting some of the skulls and the and the sword handles and stuff. Some of the stuff in the Toy Story yeah. Kids Club too, right? Yeah. yeah. But the, yeah, that was the first project. And that was me as an intern. I was kind of assisting one of the scenic artists who was like a full-time employee there. I was kind of helping her out. She was kind of showing me how to do the different stuff, so. Um, yeah, the cruise line. I just say, yeah. Um, how much do you talk about the cruise? You could probably talk about the cruise line a fair amount, right? No, yes. It, 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 we should talk about it more, but um, uh, yeah, a very, very actually, very minimally in um in the podcast history. Off the uh, I, so um, so I will say this. Um, I don't know if we're like so we're cruisers now. Um, I never would have thought I. Would I be. never would have thought I would have been a cruiser. And like, then I went on. A we're these like <laughs> we're like these like young hip like. <laughs> if we're young and hip, that makes us not young. Oh hippies. no! Yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> like it's like like I always thought of us as like these like young hippies that are like eco conscious and like the idea of a cruise. I'm like no, like cruise, like like we're like we're friends in the environment. And then we went on Disney cruise. And like oh my god, like Disney cruises are so good. Like, <laughs> you have you have like it's so weird because like all of our friends were like, listen, we, I know that like you guys don't think you're cruise people, but you should go on Disney. Like they're um. So I I actually worked. Uh, so my next so after Alani, I spent um like a few like at least over a year working on some Disney cruise line projects, including dry docks which are where you, um, you basically take you, so the ship goes into a, a shipyard and then they basically drain the water out from underneath it and it sits on these big blocks and then they re-outfit uh, the interiors and then they um, basically excavate and sort of refinish the, the um, exterior of the ship. And it's kind of like building a shoe in a shoe box. Like they, like they, like they'll take everything, like certain rooms all the way down to the steel and then they'll rebuild it inside. And so I worked on some of the new builds and then some of these dry docks for them. And I will tell you, it, um, it was a, I think a lot, what a lot of these projects gave me was a lot of perspective. You ended up meeting a lot of people and you ended up like learning a lot. So for instance, when you're working on a dry dock, maybe about a third of the people speak English. And so I had a well, for, for, for clarity's sake here, these don't happen in the U.S. Some of them do. Some of them happen at, at shipyards, but most of them, yeah. A lot of them happen in the Bahamas, sometimes in Vancouver, um, in Spain, yeah. Bahamas, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and so I remember there was a time where I had an American... Uh, team working on installing all the themed elements and then an Italian team doing all the interiors for a space and then I believe it was a bunch of Germans doing the electrical or the HVAC and then there was like a Russian team doing the other one either the HVAC or the electrical and there was a point where all of them decided that all of them needed to be in the exact same spot all at the same time <laughs> and then they're all arguing with each other all in different languages Wow! and <laughs> it can get like and get get a little heated. I'm like, guys, remember we're just you know like, you know we're not you know this isn't. We can all get into the space all at a certain time. And the crazy part is you have about maybe between three and six weeks to pretty much almost rebuild a ship. 
And so that's why the tension gets very, you know, high up there. And I would say that, um, that working on the ships and doing stuff like dry docks and, um, even new builds for the ships is very much like a, like a baptism by fire. And, and you, you can tell like just it's changed both of our perspectives on things. Yeah. When we go on cruises, we tend to make friends with the employees rather than uh, <laughs> other people on the cruises just because like we know what they go through and what they yeah. experience working yeah. on a cruise. And so we can relate to them. Yeah. It's, I mean, I was just like, it's, it's not only it's a lot of hours, but um, when I be working, so when I was working on these dry docks and new builds and whatnot, it would be, I mean, it would be like a good, like 13, 14 hour day. And then, um, you, we'd always compare on our phones, how many, um, how many stairs we'd climb, like how many, how many floors, um, flights of stairs we'd climb. And I'm like, well, I got like 32. And so I was like, well, I did 20 now. I'm like, and just how many steps and whatnot. Cause like you just be constantly walking around the ship and whatnot. So yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I can understand get it relating to the employees more. I find that when I go to Disney, I sometimes make friends with the cast members more than I do the the guests that are there. Yeah. Uh, so totally get that. Uh, you know, I, I am thinking of two different streams of thoughts when it comes to, um, you know, some of my questions here. And, and some of them are more about the the day-to-day or the life cycle of a project. And some of them are more about the uh, specifics of a project you brought to life. So in order to do this, I think, cleanly, I'm going to jump us to Pandora, the world of Avatar. Yeah. Probably my favorite land. At, at, at least it definitely was before Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Now it's it's kind of hard to decide. But both uh, are clearly amazing lands. Um, Clearly, as you say, and I want to call yeah. out thought, like, so basically like a lot of, a lot of my buddies, like my like buddies, um, were all the set decorators for star Wars. And I would say, I am very proud. They're very, they're obviously very proud of themselves, but, um, they, uh, we're very proud of them. We're very proud of them. And I, I was like, actually, can I take a minute to, so, um, I, when, while this is being recorded, um, is right when there is, so just recently, there have been all the layoffs going on um, at Disney, basically due to the pandemic. And the creative team has been, I, I believe that creative at Disney has been slashed by like a third to almost a half in terms of their departments. And so yeah, a lot of these the people, um, a lot of my good buddies at Star Wars now are all sort of looking to either create their own thing or become contractors or... Um, Eric, who was a lead over, he was a lead set decorator or a director um, at Harry Potter and came over and worked for Disney for a little bit Then went back to Harry Potter, then went over and was in charge of Star Wars for a little bit. He was joking around. He's like, he's like I've been fired twice this year. He's like, and I'm like one of the more like pronounced Imagineers when it comes yeah. to set decorators. Like, like I've done like so much more portfolio, you know, heavy projects and whatnot. And, um, and so I would say that, you know, a lot of people, um, I guess what I'm going with, with this is for anybody who's listening to this, if you're listening to a podcast about Disney, most likely that means that you already have a deep respect for Disney. And that if you are a hiring manager, that you will most likely hire a cast member if ever given the opportunity, if, you know, if you're not involved in Disney already. And I encourage that. And I would say that people at Disney are problem solvers. And especially right now, like, I guess a problem that I've noticed that a lot of my Imagineer associates or former Imagineer associates have is that a lot of them are interior designers. And now they can't get a job at an interior design firm because everything they've been doing for their whole lives has been themed. And these interior design firms or these architecture firms are like, can you just do like normal stuff? And they're like, yes, of course I can but you're going to find somebody who's been out in, you know, the regular world doing what you want for like years more. But like, I, you know, I'm a better problem solver. I know how to think outside the box. And I think that there's a lot of value to that. And so I encourage you, if you, if you can hire an Imagineer or cast member or anybody who's worked for Disney, do it because like they are project driven and they are customer service driven and they are problem solvers. Absolutely agree. 
And I think for anyone who's listening who is in that position of being able to hire somebody, do it fast before they get swept up somewhere else because you will regret it later. So a hundred percent. Yeah, now we can talk about Pandora. No, no, no. That's it was a good, it was a good, uh, a good detour, and one definitely worth mentioning. Um, so for Pandora, I, I am going to open this question and imagine I'll probably be sitting back for a lot of it, which is great because it's better if you guys talk and you hear me less. Um, you know, for thinking about a, a massive project like that, and I know you both had your hands very much all over in a lot of places in, in the world of Avatar, um, how does the life cycle of a project like that unfold, or at least in your experience, um, you know, if you want to just make it more anecdotal from your own personal experience, um, what was it like from, I guess, beginning to end working on a project that massive? So typically, um, which I'm sure that, you know, has been discussed before, but typically a project sort of goes through the whole systems design life cycle where it goes from concept to design or like a design draft to development to um, fabrication or construction to operations to disposal or documentation. And that's, that's a very broad view of how projects sort of work. I know that specifically um, Pandora spent a lot of time in concept because they, they didn't want to make it like, they didn't want to make it Avatar the movie, the land. They wanted to take the story and extrapolate, especially because Jim Cameron had, you know, so much creative control over it and then had all these, you know, extravagant plans that one day we'll see. Maybe, who knows? One day. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Um, uh, and um, uh, uh, by the way, um, I'm going to say this right now. Uh, getting Joe Rohde and Jim Cameron in a room was quite uh, like basically they're vi- they're actually both very nice people. Um, yeah, I have a James Cameron story. Yeah, but the funny part about them is that they are like definitely people that try to one up each other in terms of like I've done weirder <laughs> things. No, I've done weirder things. No, I've done weird. And like 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 Joe Rohde be like, this will be the time where I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, and like and like maybe he, like he definitely has and spent all his time in Nepal, and Jim Cameron's like kind of like the time where I swam the Mariana threat and like, you're like, Oh my God, guys. Like, like and it, 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 it's fun. And they definitely are people that like take the I, air I think out of they the were world. like a good match for this project. Well, yes. they, they definitely balanced each other out because, you know, because they're these two Titans sort of pulling on each other um, where they couldn't like, they could never let the other one like finish a sentence without being like, yes. And you know, yeah. Um, That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, um, so I was working in the, we were painting. So, um, the bar. Oh. The, what's the name? Satuli Canteen? Yeah. Right? Are we right? Yes. I love yeah. that place. It, it's been a minute for us. So we That's had, fine. Um, so the, the bar, if you've ever noticed, like the bottom of the bar, um, looks like it's made out of old, like, warheads, like bombs, essentially. Yeah. Uh, is this is this yeah. Pangu Pangu actually? Yes. It's the, it's the outdoor bar. Okay. Oh so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It it's is Pangu Pangu. Pangu. Okay. Yeah. So Just to make sure. The bottom of that bar looks like it's made out of like bombs, like. Oh yeah, the bombs. canisters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, so, I do know what you're talking about. I'm we looking were at a picture now. Those, um, <laughs> and we were working on painting them, and we were, we were told that James Cameron was walking around the park that day, but that we weren't supposed to talk to him or bother him. Right. Okay. That's fine. Don't look him in the eye. (laughs) But I think that they were being overly cautious because he ended up approaching us, which I thought was very nice. Um, His manager's man, his, his, the person who was like leading him around, uh, she came up to us and said, um, Jim is here and he'd really like to talk to you guys. And we were like, Jim, we were like, Oh, right. James Cameron. (laughs) So, Um, so he came over and he said, and he was like, said hi to us and we were painting these bombs, right? And he said, whoa, be careful. Like, <laughs> what a joke. Yeah. <laughs> it was really sweet. And he just, you know, said that he thought everything looked amazing and we were doing a great job. And yeah, he was very, very nice. It was a, it was a cool little experience. That's yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. I say, I feel bad. Cause like, I was, I like, I was going to say the amount of work that we put into Pongu Pongu, like, you know, the, the, um, 
back suit, back suit. yeah on the outside and then all the there's so um ooh, fun thing there are so many easter eggs Oh, how in, many can we say though? In in Pongu Pongu, like there are these shadow boxes. Um, if you're if you're looking, if you're there buying a drink of age, buying a drink, or they're not. There's, yeah, there's 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 kids' versions too. Yeah. Um. So if you're there uh, purchasing a beverage, um, not just like around, not just in the shadow boxes, but um, but even um, even just around there, there's just like all these little bits and pieces that uh. That help tell like little stories and whatnot. Yeah, really um, take a minute next time you're there to really look at everything in that bar. It's it's pretty cool. Uh, am I allowed? Can I say? Can I say saying things? I I'm asking you. Me? Yeah, absolutely. And and plus, okay. I, I was going to mention that I even noticed because I was there Christmas time as well. They change it up slightly for oh, Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was talking to Mike. Uh, yeah, don't they don't they dress up the mech suit a little bit? Yeah, as a Santa. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> there are things, and there are things on the bar itself too that uh, um, I, yes, try to like a I was gonna say. I, I, um, it's so fun. It, it's funny too because as set decorators, like there's this, this always like click or elitist bit where I'm like, I'm like, I can't believe the things that they picked out for the Christmas overlay. And then, <laughs> and then, and then like, sure enough, I'm sure that the holiday decorators like are like, why? You know, um, what was it? I remember I, uh, I remember so um, Epcot had a holidays around the world like not exhibit but like right it was like in between morocco and it was like right next to morocco there was this open area between, between morocco and um whatever country comes right after what's morocco. that what's that what's is it italy it depends on which way you're going it's either japan or japan, france either. oh france, france. Yeah, yeah yeah in between morocco and france like, you know, it's going to be terrible. People are going to be listening to this. Like, he doesn't remember anything. It's been, so it has been like a good three years since I set foot in Disney. Um, just because I've been. It's been less for me, but it's still hard. You're, you're not alone. Pretty much everybody I work, or so I worked with, who, I, who, I, who I've spoken to on the podcast, who's worked on something, even, even you know, big, big name Imagineers and um, animators will forget the name of movies or of, of projects they worked on. And you don't expect to hear that. So totally understandable. You, you breathe it and you're like, like the amount of times that I watched Avatar. Like, <laughs> and, and like, and so, we, so I had a folder that was literally screenshots from the movie, but like a screenshot of every second of the movie. And so there are times where I would watch, not the movie, but I'd watch, I'd scroll through the screenshots, which actually takes longer than the movie. <laughs> movie, yeah. <laughs> um, where I do that multiple times. Um, you like live it and breathe it when you're doing it, but um, but at you know, but then as soon as you're done, you're like, okay, take all that brain space, shift that over to the side, onto the new thing. Well, um, what was it? I uh, so I got a chance to work with holiday decorating when I was um, I was at Epcot. And we did this um, holidays around the world thing where we showed what um, what Christmas looked like in in Great Britain and what it looked like in America and then what it looked like back in like the ye olden days. <laughs> and uh, it was a lot of fun, but it was so funny because it was my first time working with holiday decorating. And I like, I was like, Hey, can I borrow some stuff? And they're like, Oh, you want to borrow stuff from us? Are we good? Like, and it was like, and I was like, Whoa, like, and I didn't realize like, like that the lines had been drawn. And like, I had to like, I remember I had to like give them like a peace offering <laughs> um, oh, that's another thing. Um, uh, for those of you who are all going to be great Imagineers and be nice to everybody, not only be nice to everybody, but um, bar. It, so many things work off of a bartering system. When I worked on the cruise ship, um, we would have to. So you have things that are craned from the shipyard, like giant sea containers that are shipped that are then transported onto the top deck of the ship, and there's a queue. There's a line, and so. If you get there at a certain time, like you may have to wait three hours to get your container loaded onto the ship with all your materials. And I, because I'm a prop person, would always have a couple extra props, or I had like maybe a cool t shirt or a cool helmet or a cool hat that like the crane operator was like, you know, and in Spanish would be like, hey, you want, can I have one of those? And I'm like, hey, can I get my container to the front of the line? <laughs> and, um, and it is it, like, it is ridiculously like a petty bartering system that um, <laughs> you would be surprised. Like, if, like anytime you're having a like team t-shirts made, always make a couple extra because you never know like who all of a sudden is going to become an honorary team member. <laughs> Good advice. 
Um, yeah, oh, sorry, what were we talking about? Pandora. Oh, Pandora! Pandora. <laughs> oh, so the Easter eggs, the Easter eggs. Yes. Um, okay, so... with that we close out episode 96 of the imagineer podcast i certainly hope you enjoyed hearing these stories from adam and rebecca but this just scratches the surface because this was only part one part two we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the details about things that you love including and things that i love things like the flight of passage Q. Some of the details of the set design at Pandora, the world of Avatar. It was such a great discussion. I cannot wait for you to hear part two of this episode. You'll only have to wait one week if you're listening to this live. If you're listening to this sometime in the future after it's recorded, just go ahead and proceed to the next episode. But I can't wait for you all to hear it. Of course, uh, because it's the end of part one, I definitely want to hear what you enjoyed most from this conversation. I'm going to leave it open there. And uh, from all the things that Adam and Rebecca discussed, what did you find to be the most interesting or perhaps the most relevant to your career uh, or the most inspiring? You can send me your answers and feedback in so many different ways. You can reach out on social media in a direct message or in a post or your story on Instagram. Facebook, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Imagine Your Podcast. On Twitter at Imagine Your News. You can send me an email at imagineyourpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can join our Facebook group. I should say ends. You can join our Facebook group. You can do all the above, uh, which is the Imagination, also called the Imagineer Podcast Disney Fan Community, where you can chat not just with me, but with other members of this listener community about this episode and about all things Disney. If you don't already subscribe to the show, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button. Whether you're listening to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Podcasts, or any other podcast app, which of course will ensure that you are the first to know when new podcast episodes become available. And if you would like to take your love of Imagineer Podcast to the next level, definitely check out our Patreon group, which is the Imagineer Society. You can learn more about that by going to patreon.com slash Imagineer Podcast. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, where you can help to support the show financially and in return get extra special perks, benefits, and rewards, including early access to every podcast episode, bonus podcast episodes, access to a private Facebook group, monthly virtual events. We do so many incredible things, and I try to reward literally every member at every membership level so starting at just one dollar a month you get perks benefits and rewards of course the the terms and the specific benefits are subject to change but you can learn all about what's currently being offered at patreon.com slash imagineer podcast i have so far in the last three years never taken away a benefit if anything i've added benefits or made them better um but again you can learn more by clicking on the link in the show notes below or going to patreon.com slash imagineer podcast of course, the best thing you could do for the show is to share it, whether you share out this podcast episode or the podcast as a whole or your favorite podcast episode on any social media channel. Just talk about it with your friends or whatever you can do to support the show. It definitely does a lot to help us out. And if you leave us a rating and a review in the Apple Podcast Store, that also goes very far in helping to support this community. I would also encourage you to check out our partners. First, take a look at The Kingdom Insider over at thekingdominsider.com and The Kingdom Insider on all social media channels to hear the latest news and updates about what's happening at all the Disney parks and resorts, everything happening with the Walt Disney Company, both now in the present and in the future. While I tend to focus on the present and the past, they, in a little bit of the future, they focus on the present and the future with a little bit of the past. So it's a nice little uh, mix between the two of us. You can learn more again by going to thekingdominsider.com or the Kingdom Insider on any social media channel. And the next time you're ready to book a vacation, 
to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line, Adventures by Disney, Aulani, or any other Disney destination. I actually had only one trip to Disney in 2020. I am hoping to change that around in 2021, and we'll be looking to Academy Travel, um, which is our travel partner, and they have been helping to plan vacations for over 25 years. They are diamond earmarked by Disney. That's the highest level of distinction that they offer and can help you to plan out your next vacation at no additional cost to you. They can even help to save you money because they are aware of all the available discounts uh, on any Disney vacation that you might be taking and can do it all with some incredible service. You can request a free quote, no obligation, by clicking on the links in the show notes below or go to ImagineerPodcast.com, click on the travel drop down and select your destination. That'll take you right to the form to fill out. You just fill it out. They will get back to you as soon as possible with that free quote, no obligation. Last but not least, especially because this is an episode with a couple of former Imagineers, I'd like to remind you to go after your hopes, your dreams, your goals, whether that's to get into Walt Disney Imagineering or to pursue any career path you might have in mind. Taking that first step is the hardest step, but the most important, once you're past that first hurdle, you can certainly do some incredible things and just keep working hard and make your dreams come true. Remember, as always, that inspiring quote from Horizons. If you can dream it, you can do it. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you again in a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast. about working with Disney's Imagineers is being able to take our technology that we're using on Avatar and combining it with what they do in theme parks and bringing the two together to create something that is truly revolutionary in the theme park experience. The sensation of flying is really visceral, really believable. I know all the mechanics behind it, all the engineering, all the stuff that goes into the imagery, and I can't believe it. And depending on where you sit, you get different kinds of sub-stories. The top floor experience is way more ducking. Of the bottom floor experience is way more of that rushing sensation of right. stuff going by. You could come here 50 times and have 50 different stories. It's just the sheer richness of detail that is impossible to absorb in a single setting.